you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning once again. Take your Bibles out and turn them to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. That is where we're going to be studying from this morning, a passage that for many of you is going to be very familiar, and we will continue looking at who God is this morning as we talk about uh, the names of God, uh, and this morning we talk about the name of El Roah, the God who sees, and I really, I really enjoy this story. Uh, this, this story is, is, is so powerful in so many different ways, uh, but before we get into that, Jake... Great job. Jake read scripture this morning for the first time and uh, proud of him. Got a lot of young Christians that are, that are growing and, 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 and really getting their service to God for the first time. And uh, so, Jake, we're proud of you. Great job this morning. Um, so, as Jake read for us uh, from chapter 15, we, we are reminded in that chapter it is a time where God uh, takes a moment and renews his covenant with Abram. And he reminds him that, hey, you are going to be this father of a great nation. Great things are going to come from you. I want you to know, basically, he's having a conversation with him that says, hey, remember I'm in control. Remember I'm in charge. Remember all these promises that I have made to you, and we're going to get through this, and we're going to do this together, and everything's going to be okay. Well, as you fast forward into chapter 16, and we're going to read here in just a few minutes, you're going to see that 10 years or so has passed since this moment, since this time, and um, Abram and Sarah are kind of discouraged. They're, they're trying to figure out what's happening. They're trying to figure out what's going on and, and how things are going to be better and different and how this plan is going to take place. And so we pick up this story in chapter 16 and verse 1, and what we see in this particular story is what happens, what happens when we decide to take God's plans into our own hands, okay? So that's part of it. The other part of it is, is how God sees and takes care of us in our life. But let's start in 16 verse 1. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I could build a family through her. Abram agreed to do what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her, to, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Let's stop right there and let's talk about a few things together and kind of set the stage. We're introduced to uh, uh, the characters here. Uh, the first thing that we see here is, is Sarah and Abraham, of course, have, have, have made, had this promise from God and have had no children. How in the world am I going to be a father of a great nation if I don't have one child to even start this process with. And he's worried and he's worked up and he's concerned. And then there's something interesting here in verse 2. And so Sarah looks at Abraham and says, The Lord has kept me from having children. There's this idea here that's, I think, kind of an undercurrent that I believe you can make this connection that that Sarah's impatience and her impatience with God turns into blaming God. 
This isn't happening because God's not doing what God said he was going to do. And I believe that that is... I believe that's something that if we're not careful and we're honest and we're real, that we can all probably say that we've had a moment in our life where we've not been patient with God. You know that idea that a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to God? That's, that's, a lot of times we have this idea that's great and all, but God, to me, a day is a day. And a year is a year, and I've been waiting on you to answer a prayer. I've been waiting on you to fulfill a promise, and it hasn't happened yet, and I'm getting impatient. And a lot of times when we get in that situation, we do the exact thing that Sarah and Abraham do here. They get impatient. They start thinking maybe outside of the box a little bit. Instead of doing things the way God has planned and the way God wants them done, they take matters into their own hand, and they come up with this situation that they think is going to solve God's problem for him, or at least it's going to solve their problem that God, in their mind, has created. And so there's, there's this little blame game that's going on. But then we're also introduced to Hagar. We're introduced to an Egyptian slave who, in many ways, because she's a slave, is on the outside of this family looking in. She is a piece of property, if you will. She's not really part of the family, although there's probably good relationships with her. There's probably, um, you know, knots around the dinner table where she's there and laughing and cutting up with the rest of the family. There's probably times that she feels like family. But Scripture very much makes it a point to point out that she's not. She's an outsider. She's not really part of the family. And now all of a sudden, she's going to be given to Abraham as his wife. Now, there's some things going on here as we're going to read through the rest of this section that she is going to be Abraham's wife, but yet she's still going to be the slave that is owned by Sarah. So there's some things in there that maybe don't completely make sense to us, but what this does for her is it elevates her game a little bit. Now all of a sudden, she's more important. Now all of a sudden, she's got a little bit uh, more clout in, in, in the family. She is now Abraham's wife, just like Sarah is. And so that's going to begin to cause some problems and some issues. So let's keep going. Let's keep reading. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you were responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May God judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and she fled from her. This is what happens when we try to take things in our own hands. We mess them up. How many of you have tried to solve God's problems with your own solutions, and then you get on the other side of it, and you realize that my problem is really the problem, and God, God had it all under control. I've just messed it all up. I think we're all guilty of that. But let's, let's kind of look through our, our story here. This is um, a situation where they've tried to solve their problem their way, <coughs> and when it didn't work out, Sarah starts blaming everybody else. Whose idea was this to begin with? Whose idea was it to take Hagar and give her to Abraham and say, hey, you're going to do this this way? Whose idea was that? Sarah's. Now what's she doing? She's doing what any great loving wife does. It messes up and she looks at Abraham and goes, this is your fault. And don't you know Abraham's getting it from Sarah like, 
hey, this is your fault. You, 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 you let this happen. You did this. You did that. And don't you know he's going to Hagar and she's going, hey, you need to tell Sarah that she needs to treat me different. That she's being mean to me. She's being ugly to me. And don't you know that he just, he just, he's getting it from the left and the right, isn't he? He is in a no-win situation. There's probably a part of him that would like to just crawl in a hole and die at this moment. And what does he do? Hey, just do whatever you want to do with her. Solve it however you want to solve it. So what does she do? It says that, <coughs> it says that she mistreats Hagar. She mistreats her. And what does she do? She ends up running away. Throughout the rest of the story, I think it's interesting that nowhere in the story does it mention where she's going. And if I'm just giving commentary on that, I'm giving commentary and saying she doesn't know where she's going. She doesn't care where she's going. She just knows she can't stay here. She can't stay in the middle of all this mess. And I think that there's some of us in our lives that we struggle with that same thing, that we feel uncomfortable with where we are. We feel like we're being mistreated by people. We feel like we don't fit like we used to for whatever reason. And our, our first reaction is, I've just got to leave. I've got to get away. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what the situation is I'm fixing to walk into. But in our mind, we think it can't be any worse than where I am. And we're broken, and we're hurt, and, and, and we just feel worthless and useless and like no one cares. And that's exactly where Hagar finds herself. She finds herself in a situation that she thought she thought was going to elevate her maybe. She thought was going to make her life better. Thought it was going to be a good thing for her to go through this. And I would also mention, and I think it's important to understand, she, she didn't have a whole lot of say in this. Okay? She didn't. She wasn't part of the conversation that made this decision to do this to her in her life. She just had to do what she was told. And now the only thing she wants to do is get as far away as she can to try to find some refreshment somewhere, to try to find some peace somewhere, to try to find some rest somewhere. Even though she doesn't know where that might be, she knows that it can't be where she is. And I think in a room this size this morning that there's a good chance that someone feels the same way about the life that they're living. And you're trying to run, and you're trying to hide, and you're trying to make sense. And if that's where you are, I want you to listen particularly to the next section <coughs> because I believe there's some encouragement to all of us, especially to those who are struggling about the nature of God. So let's pick up in verse 7. So she's running, okay, she's running away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road, sure. And she said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. See, she still doesn't know where she's going. She just knows she's running away, trying to get away from all this stuff. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Now, that's, that's, that's some might call that a rebuke, but I think there's some something powerful in that of saying, look, I know that you may be struggling where you are, 
Okay? I know that you may be in a life that you don't want to be in that spot. You want to run away and hide. But God says, hey, he tells this young lady, he goes, I need you to stay. I know it's bad. I know it's bad. He's fixing to give her some encouragement of how to deal with that. But sometimes in our life, even though the challenge is right in front of us, the answer is not always running away from the challenge. It's not always running away from the challenge. And as you look throughout Scripture, that, that overwhelmingly is what God tells us time and time again. Don't be afraid of the challenge because I'm here with you. No challenge is great enough that you cannot overcome it because I'm here with you. And that's the promise that he's fixing to give her. That's the promise he's fixing to give her. He goes on, he says, the angel added. He doesn't just say, hey, you need to go back home. He doesn't say you need to go back home and just leaves it at that. He doesn't say you need to go back home and just be miserable. I know it's awful, but that's where you belong. And he reminds her, he says, look, this is your role. This is what you are. You need to go back and fulfill that. But then he says, then he adds to it. And that's the great thing about God. God always adds to the blessings are always going to add to. The comfort is always going to add to what we're dealing with in a positive way. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So he takes part of the promise, part of the covenant that he has made with Abram, and he gives it to Hagar. This woman who's running, who's struggling, he's saying, look, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a promise with you that from, from this child, from this child, you're going to have many descendants. It very much echoes what he has told Abraham. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Let's stop right there. And let's focus in on that for just a second. Ishmael means, in its simplest form, God hears. Ishmael means God hears. When this young lady was at her lowest, when she was struggling with the most, with the biggest challenge that she had ever had in her life, when she felt like giving up and throwing in the towel and running away, he reminds her, I want you to know something. God hears you. And he says, now that you're going to have to go back home and you're going back into an environment that is going to be equally as challenging and more than likely is going to get worse, than it was when you left. He said, every time you rub your belly and think of this child, every time you say your child's name once he's born, remember, God hears you. And that's the first piece of encouragement I want to give you this morning. That if you find yourself in the same place that Hagar finds herself, struggling, wanting to run away, wanting to stay, not wanting to be around, wanting to find peace somewhere else except where you are in your life, I want you to know this morning that God hears you. That God hears when you cry. God hears when you pray. God hears when you gripe and complain about the situation that you're in. God hears you. And that should be an assured comfort that whatever's happening, whatever's going on, it can't be hidden from God. You may feel alone. You may feel by yourself. You may feel abandoned. But God hears what you say no matter what takes place. 
Let's keep going. He goes on to describe, in verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. And then verse 13, this is her response. This is Hagar's response. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. Now, it's interesting throughout Scripture that God gives himself a lot of different names. That's the whole point of this whole series, to figure out these names that God gives to himself. But in this particular story, it's a little bit different. Because of her interaction with God's angel, with God's spokesman, that's another way that you can look at this particular angel that has shown up. This is God's spokesman. He's speaking directly on God's behalf. She gives God a name. And she said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that goes back to our first slide, the name of God, El Roi, the God who sees. I want you to know this morning that not only does God hear you when you suffer, when you cry, when you praise him, but God sees you as well. God watches you. God knows the things that you're going through. He sees the hurt. He sees the pain. It's not just a, uh, it's not just a distant thing. You see from, from this particular story that God got personal with Hagar when she began to f- come in this difficult moment. And he can get personal with us too. To, to kind of deepen this characteristic of God this morning, listen to these few verses. Psalms 34, verse 15 The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Psalms 33, verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And then Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. I want you to know this morning that you serve a God that sees you, that hears you, and that it's going to always be there to comfort you. Let's talk very quickly about some applications for this story, and then the lesson will be yours. To those of you who are fervent prayers, and even for those that are not fervent but still pray, God is a God who sees and hears, so you can be assured that he hears the words that you utter, whether they're out of despair, out of praise, thanksgiving, or need. The God who sees and the God who hears, hears and sees those prayers, so keep on praying. To those who are anxious, full of doubt and worries, take heart that God can see what you're concerned about. He knows what those things are. He can see the things that you stress over, and better yet, he can see how they are going to unfold, and he can unfold those things in a way that doesn't bring stress, but rather brings blessing if you lean in on him. So cast your concerns on him and make use of his strength, for he does truly care about you. To those of you who feel abandoned, be confident that you are never alone. I will never leave you or forsake you, is the words of God. David says those words. Jesus reclaims those words on the cross. James, or the Hebrew writer, echoes those words. The God who sees you is always there with you. You're never alone. To those who may feel like they're under attack or being slandered, remember that there is a righteous judge who sees all. He knows what you're being charged with, 
and he will bring true judgment one day for those who are under spiritual attack. Remember the promises of God that he'll never allow you to bear more than you can handle. And maybe most importantly, but lastly, for those of you who might be living in sin, it might be that you're still holding on to something that you feel is greater than God and causes you not to submit to him. You may be holding on to a private sin that, that says, God, I want you to get out of the room. I don't want you to see what's going on. Remember that you can't hide from God. God sees all and God hears all. And allow him to help you overcome the challenge of that sin and submit to him because there's nothing that you can hide from him. So no matter where you are today, you can be encouraged by your El Roi, the God who sees that he's there with you, he cares for you, and he's taking care of you. Let's go to that God and pray as we close. God, we thank you so much for seeing our lives, for being involved in our lives, for touching our lives. God, we know that we know that we're going to face challenging moments. We know that times are going to be hard. Times are going to be difficult. But then there's also going to be times that are praiseworthy and times that are mountaintop experiences. And God, it is so comforting to know that you're right there with us through the entire journey. But especially in moments in our life as we find ourselves like Hagar, we find ourselves struggling, we find ourselves nowhere near the mountaintop, but very deep into the valley that you see us that you hear us, that you care for us, God. And we are thankful for that. We're thankful that you are a God that saw fit to see your son come to this earth, and you watched him live a perfect life, a life that was sinless, that made him worthy of being that perfect sacrifice to shed his blood so that we may have hope, so that we may have mercy and grace so we may have forgiveness. Help us to lean into the cross every day, God, to soak up the forgiveness that flows from it, to look at Jesus and allow him to be our focal point in everything that we do and everything that we're about. We, play, we pray your blessings on our church family. We know that there are those who are hurting, those who are feeling loss. Help them to know that you are their father, you are their God, and that you're sitting right there with them in love, carrying them through every moment. We thank you for that, God. Bless us as we continue our week. May we live as a light on a hill, shining bright in your name. We ask all these things. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to join us again 
And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Is inspired.